You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. Margaritaville, is, you know, I don't feel like it's something that I've been strapped with. I'm very happy that it occurred, and uh, there's a lot more substance to me than just one song. But if that's what I'm remembered for, that's fine with me. Singer-songwriter Jimmy Buffett, today on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. One night in 1977 in Austin, Texas, Jimmy Buffett sat down and wrote a song that would come to define his entire music career. Wasting away again in Margaritaville Searching for my sugar Margaritaville never did hit number one on the Billboard charts. The highest ever got was number eight. But... It has lived a long and fruitful life. For decades, it has now become a pop music icon. And it has made Jimmy Buffett a pretty wealthy guy. Now, a dozen years later, in 1989, Jimmy Buffett, who was a big fan of short stories, finally wrote a book of his own short stories. Stories that he'd collected over the years, meeting people and talking with them and hearing their stories, and of course, observing people in Margaritaville. Hence the title of his book, Tales from Margaritaville. So here now, from 1989, my conversation with Jimmy Buffett. I've combined some stories and experiences that I've run into in my travels and then uh, also uh, wrote some fictional pieces actually based on uh, several songs that are on the last album. So they're, they're, uh, it's an extension of some music, basically. Now, I've, I've read it said that this is about as close as we'll ever come to, a, or as close as we've come yet, anyway, to a Jimmy Buffett autobiography. Is that accurate? <laughs> a lot of people think that. Uh, I don't know, you know, I, I don't think it's an autobiography as much as it is uh, uh, I keep and have kept for a long time little journals and vignettes of, of all the things that that I've seen and, and traveled with, I, I think that what I wanted to do was get a lot of those experiences down and use them as the basis of fiction, you know, truth being stranger than fiction, as they say. So, um, and Hemingway once said, uh, you know, as long as the story is good, your sources, whether they be fiction or fact, are not really what matters. And the trick is, is to, not, to make sure that nobody knows which is which. So I think I've covered that. <laughs> You know, it occurs to me that writing a good short story, telling a good tale, is very much like writing a good song that people will remember and will want to hear over and over again. Do you sense that? That's why I chose to write short stories first, because uh, I, uh, I, it was, in one sense it's easier uh, than writing songs. In another sense, it's a little more difficult. You're, you're pretty much based in songwriting to three verses, two, uh, two choruses. And you have to compress a lot of ideas and a lot of feeling into a short period of time and a few a few number of words. So when you go into short stories, in that respect, you have a lot more area to operate in to, to get your characters. Uh, and that's what these stories are built around strong characters and uh, to get your character known better. In the other respect, you still have to make it flow like a song, beginning, middle, and end, and you have to end it. So unlike a novel that, uh, to me, seems like you've got a lot more room to be flexible and you can keep going, you always have to be thinking as you're, as you're writing a short story that it has to end uh, rather abruptly. So you want to make sure that you have some flow to it at the end. But 
it, it's it's like to me I wrote them like they were big songs. But there's also a, a definite rhythm to a short story, which is one reason I could never master the short story. <laughs> and as a, as, as a musician, you have to have a very keen sense of rhythm. Yeah, and I, I was a great, you know, and I always have read short stories. To me, uh, in in traveling and in, in the times I spent on my boat and, and around, short stories to me are one of my favorite forms. And since I read them a lot, I study. I mean, it's, I read them for entertainment. When I decided I wanted to, to attempt to write a book of short stories, I certainly studied who the people who I thought were masters at it. And, yeah, it's got a great rhythm. I mean, you're into a flow, uh, and the story takes you, and it doesn't drop you out like a like you drop out of a plane without a parachute. It sets you down gently. And uh, that's, that's one of the tricks to doing it. So um, having a little flow and uh, supposedly possessing a sense of rhythm as a musician, it, I'm sure that it helped in writing these stories. <laughs> Can you remember the very first time that you played a piece of music and you thought to yourself, wow, hey, I think I'm good enough to make a go of this as a career? Oh, yeah. Uh, I, uh, I started... I guess back when I was uh, in college, in the first couple of years in college, and uh, it's uh, it's strange, but but true. I mean, I, when I first started out, I never had any any uh, idea that uh, that I would not make it. I, I think you have to have that stronger conviction, whether you're good or not. I remember the first couple of gigs; I was I was awful, but you have to have that desire to overcome <laughs> your, your inabilities in the beginning and hope that your talent catches up with your tenacity. <laughs> now, the one question you must hear all the time, all the time, you probably even have little cards printed up with the answer, is where is Margaritaville? Well, it's in your mind, and that's basically, you know, when I wrote this book, uh, I actually started out in the beginning, I thought that, that uh, I would make a definite geographical spot, a latitude and longitude, and, and, and invent a little island where I would put these characters. And the more I thought about it, the more I just wanted to sort of sideswipe Margaritaville and, and mention it occasionally, because I think it really belongs. It, it, it's sort of a mythological place that sort of everybody wishes they could go to. And I, I really wanted to, to leave it there and uh, so that everybody could have their own. When you, when you take something that's been a fantasy and a myth for so long, and try to materialize it, you can get yourself in trouble. And I didn't want to go down that road. I'd, I'd rather leave it out there for everybody to find for themselves. It's almost like the difference between radio and television. It's what's left to the imagination. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely is. I mean, uh, I actually, uh, I don't know what, I was watching television last night. Now I know why I don't watch it much. <laughs> 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 I went, this is the new season? Great. <laughs> Yeah. What a letdown, right? Yeah, yeah I went to sleep early. <laughs> you know, it strikes me that there's so many people who maybe listen to uh, other types of radio stations who only know you through Margaritaville. Mm-hmm. If, if heaven forbid, you're struck by a milk truck tomorrow, and that's what's on your gravestone, is that here's here lies the composer of Margaritaville, would you die happy? Yeah. I mean, uh, I... Uh... I was lucky enough at one point in my life as a writer to put my thumb on the pulse of something that most people feel. And uh, it's it's escapism that I think is is an essential part of the human makeup. And uh, I am lucky enough to live that life that I've carved out for myself, which other people are, are envious of, but I find a lot of places. But I always wanted to do what I'm doing, and uh, I always wanted to live where I'm living. And uh, I'd be very happy. Margaritaville, is, you know, I don't feel like it's something that I've been strapped with. I'm very happy that it occurred, and uh, 
<laughs> to be in in reality, it's paid the rent for a long time and uh, opened up lots of doors. Uh, there's a lot more substance to me than just one song, but if that's what I'm remembered for, that's fine with me. You know, I know so many performers though who they they say, "Well, yes, I know it's been you know my bread and butter. I know it's the song that you know, like you said, helps pay the rent and makes a car payment or whatever." But boy, they're so sick of that one song that everybody remembers them for. That's, that's part of the game. Comes with the territory. I mean, that's that's what that's the way you play it. That's one of the reasons I think we've been able to uh, sustain this uh, popularity as long as we have. And 23 years is not a bad run, when longevity not being a real uh, employment uh, security situation in this business. Uh, I, when it doesn't take any more of my time to go ahead and play the song than to make up excuses not to play it. After this short break, all the other things Jimmy Buffett does in Margaritaville. Now back to my 1989 conversation with Jimmy Buffett. Are you a renaissance man? I mean, you're a sailor, you're a songwriter, you write books. I consider that a high compliment. (laughs) I always wanted to be a renaissance man. (laughs) I think the renaissance is a pretty neat period myself. (laughs) (laughs) Do you you paint and sculpt and all that other neat stuff, too? I do paint. Yeah, I do paint. I I paint watercolors. and uh, It's nice uh, to have gone through the intensity and the, the maniacal sometimes days of hardcore rock and roll touring, which I've done for quite a few years, uh, it's sort of settling in over the last five years into into uh, a different routine where I have more time. But my, my mind's always working to the point where those kind of things, to, to sit on a quiet day out at the farm and, and paint watercolors is really neat. And uh, it's a great way to ease your mind and have fun doing it. And, and uh I, when I get off the road or when I get through with interviews out of books, I go home. You know, I, my, uh, my work is not a 24-hour, 365-day part of my life the way a lot of people in this business do. They either you know, come off the road and live in Los Angeles and New York, and they go out to dinner and spend the rest of their life with people in the business talking about business. Uh, I prefer to, dis- to disattach myself and, and go someplace else where it's quiet and and do those kinds of things to paint or sail or, or fly my airplane around. And uh, if that's uh, I, like I said before, the Renaissance was a pretty good period. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I'm, I'm curious about something. When you when you can derive pleasure from so many different things and and can enjoy doing so many things, how do you compare the thrill that you get when you're standing before a sellout crowd that's cheering? They're on their feet. There, they want more and they want more. How does that compare with the thrill of, of finishing a book? You've mailed the manuscript off to the publisher. You know it's done, and it's on the stands now. People are buying it. How does that compare with, with maybe putting something on a canvas that you know, hey, this is a beautiful painting? You know, I, uh, I think about that, that. To me, there's no bigger thrill than leaving the stage, say it like Meriwether Post, when there's 20,000 screaming people and you've done your job and they're letting you know that they approve of it. Uh, to me, I come from, I started as a performer in clubs and in coffee houses, and performing has been the, the basic bread and butter of my existence. I mean, I've battled my record companies, and, and, I, and they cannot pigeonhole me and put me in a category, which has sort of been... A hindrance in in the recording aspect of it, but on stage, uh, there's no thrill like that, and it's a shared thrill because I've I've talked to friends of mine in the movie business and who are writers as well, 
that their work for movies, for example, is very long, tedious hours. Uh, and still, again, everybody misses because they don't get that live feedback. And that's the best thing in the world. So when I, when I finished the book, it was a very lonely experience. There wasn't anybody there. It was a little bit of a shock for me because I wanted to go out and go, hey, I finished the book, and have a lot of people get up and give me a standing ovation. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it's sort of, that's what I'm sort of uh, programmed to, to get. So, uh, but to me, it was a great amount of personal satisfaction because I have wanted to write and for a long time, and I have. I've written for newspapers and for magazines, and and uh, I always, you know, it was always in my mind to do a book or to, or to extend my writing. To me, it's a logical progression from writing songs for this long a time to writing books and writing plays and things like that. But I needed to get the first one done. You need to get that first one under your belt, and I did, and it's been pretty much accepted as a pretty pretty good piece of work as a piece of literature as, as opposed to another celebrity writing a little book of mm. cliches are you uh, are you surprised at how well the book is doing uh i to be quite honest i i know it's a good book and i was hoping it was it would do good but i am I'm pleasantly surprised at how well it's doing and pleasantly surprised that the, the kinds of people that are you know i did a book signing yesterday at a bookstore and they sold every copy of the book in the store and there were 600 people in line well the thing that was nice about it they were fans of mine but they weren't there signing records they really enjoyed the stories in the books and and uh and that made me feel great what's a, what's a, what would be a good jimmy buffett album to put on while you're reading the book to read that off to see the lizard yeah because <laughs> <laughs> absolutely because uh, a lot of the stories there uh it's nice now because now the books that i i used six songs and six stories by the same title and i moved some characters and situations back and forth so i love the fact that one one lady came up to me and, and i was doing an interview and she's supposed to be a very hardball interviewer and she said um, she said i really would like to be a character in your book and i went that's the best compliment you could pay me <laughs> <laughs> do you ever wish you had been born someplace besides alabama oh no no i and you know that's part of my heritage and I'm typically southern in that way that uh it's it's love of territory and love of that little piece of land. Uh, I figure when it's all said and done and all my travels are over, I will probably end up back on the Gulf Coast somewhere and in a nice situation and spend my years as an elderly and wise man. <laughs> <laughs> Fishing and hunting and eating well. I mean that's uh there, 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 it, there are some giveaways as to where I would like to be and what I'd like to be doing in some of these characters in this book. The older characters certainly are visions of where I, where I would like to be when I get that age. And uh, no, growing up on the Gulf Coast was was a unique place. And in Alabama itself, I mean, it's one thing, but then the Gulf Coast was such a unique geographical and cultural phenomenon that. Uh, was all French settled and very Catholic settled. It's sort of like the northern rim of the Caribbean culture. And it came from Africa through the Caribbean and sort of moved through the French territories to New Orleans. So um, I always have felt, as I traveled and was attracted down to the other islands in the Caribbean, that this, I was moving in one of those little, as the Aborigines call them, a song line of, our, of, uh, of that Creole culture. I love it. Have you been in touch with any of your friends uh, in the Caribbean since the hurricane came through? Yes, I have. Uh, actually, we're working on a co one thing, Montserrat, which was the island that you don't hear about much in America. They got really devastated. Uh, I'd spent a lot of time there. There was a recording studio 
there that George Martin had put up, and, and a lot of a lot of very well known bands have recorded down there, and we're and it just got completely devastated. So we're putting an album together of all the people that recorded in the studio: the Rolling Stones, Sting, myself, James Taylor, among others, Paul McCartney. Uh, so there'll be an album out for Hurricane Relief, and uh, St. Bart's, the little island where I live, got got relatively unscathed, but. Uh, It'll be interesting. I plan on taking a trip down there when I get home and uh, and fly all because those are all the islands. When I fly my plane down, I stop right down that chain where the storm came right up. So uh, I went through a hurricane in Alabama about seven years ago, Hurricane Frederick, and it's amazing. I mean, I I, I can certainly feel empathy because our places in Alabama were totally destroyed, and I never thought I'd see it come back in my lifetime. But it, it's amazing how how incredible nature can come back. Jimmy Buffett is 76 now, and largely due to Margaritaville, he's a billionaire. In addition to his music, Jimmy owns the Margaritaville Cafe restaurant chain. And you can find links to Jimmy Buffett's book and his music in our show notes or at our website, heardeverything.com. And while you're at heardeverything.com, be sure to listen to my 1994 interview with Glenn Campbell. I wanted to get in the studios. I wanted to be the musician rather than, you know, playing six nights a week in a club, which I had been doing for eight years. And my 1991 interview with Sonny Bono. When I finished I Got You, Babe, I said, this is going to be a smash. There was no doubt in my mind I had absolutely 100% certainty. And those are magical moments as far as songwriters is concerned. And, of course, we post new episodes of Now I've Heard Everything here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. Would you do me a favor? If you liked today's episode, would you tell a friend about Now I've Heard Everything? We sure appreciate it. And thank you so much for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, to honor him on his 80th birthday, the creator of the Rambo character, author David Morrell. The character has almost taken on a life of his own, and I've taken to calling myself Rambo's father. Uh, and he's, I mean, because he sort of, he has grown up, as it were. The Oxford English Dictionary has officially declared Rambo as a word. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. 